This week was a week for the record books, right? Many different people have many different emotions. And as this week began, and I realized that for our nation, there would be many different feelings and opinions and ideas and struggles, I began to think about where my hope truly rests, where my hope truly lies. And you know the hymn, On Christ the Solid Rock I Stand? My hope is built on nothing less than Jesus' blood and righteousness. I dare not find the sweetest frame, but wholly lean on Jesus' name. You guys want to join me? On Christ the solid rock I stand, all other ground is sinking sand. All other ground is sinking sand. That's our prayer. That my hope would be built on nothing less than Jesus' blood and righteousness. There's no other reason by which we gather today. And it is that reason that brings so many different divisions together in one place to say we're united. And it's that that allows us to look forward into the future with great hope in spite of who our leader may or may not be. So we are in this series um, through the book of Daniel entitled times of turbulence, that we would be a people that realize that God is at work in turbulent times. And Daniel certainly sees the turbulent times that are coming. You might remember that the book of Daniel is actually prophecy of what is to come. And so when we're in these later chapters, we're actually reading prophecy. That means the foretelling of what is to take place in the world around us. And one of the things that I find absolutely astonishing here is that the prophecy by which Daniel was able to envision from God and to write down for the people of Israel is the prophecy that was fulfilled. Now, we'll find that throughout chapter 11, not all of this prophecy has been fulfilled yet, but there has been much of it been fulfilled that allows us to see that God knows the future. God knows the future. Actually, that's what makes God God, is that he knows the future. And one of the things that allows us to know God's heart for ourselves and for our church and for all of humanity is that God allows us to see with him what he sees so that we can know how to navigate the storms ahead. When I was a kid, we would go uh, on vacation into the mountains of North Carolina. And this one time in particular, we went into a place called uh, Lake Glenville. Anybody ever been to Lake Glenville, by the way? Anybody? So I'm the only person at Lake Glenville. Well, it's a beautiful lake in the mountains, about 3,000 feet up. So one of the highest lakes in the Smoky Mountains, if not, I think, the highest lake in the Smoky Mountains, um, which is nothing compared to out west. So... Um, but all that to say is it was a beautiful place and it's this A-frame cabin that overlooks the lake and in the day it was a glorious sight to see the mountains and the water and the sun glistening over the lake but as an eight or nine year old boy 
I drew the short end of the stick and I had the loft upstairs by myself, which overlooked that lake. But on this one particular night, the storms came in. And when the storms came in, in the mountains, over the lake, the thunder was ten times louder than normal. It was ferocious. And the lightning was ten times brighter than normal. And here I am as an eight-year-old kid, and I didn't even want to move. I was so scared. And I was thinking, how am I going to get through this night? It was not a comfortable night because I was so afraid. And then I remember the next morning I walked out and the ground was wet and the sun was coming out and nothing happened. Everything was okay. And so the next night as the storm came through, I remember being a little fearful, but I remember that I woke up that morning and everything was going to be okay. And because I knew everything was going to be okay, it gave me comfort through the storm. You know, God, through Daniel's prophecy is telling the people of Israel everything's going to be okay because I know there's going to be difficulties there's going to be challenges there's going to be sleepless nights there's going to be trials that you will face but listen everything's going to be okay last week my daughter had to go into a new classroom because her teacher was moved from second grade to third grade. It was something that they had to do spur of the moment. And my daughter loved her teacher, loved her so much. Just two months into it, she was just loving this teacher. And that morning that the transition was made rather abruptly, the teacher called my wife before, her name is Miss Roberts, called my wife before uh, she told the class and, and she told my wife what, it, what was going to happen and we were disappointed but we knew what was going to happen. We knew these things have to happen at some points and we were ready to help my daughter when she got home because we knew that day that Miss Roberts was going to tell her class and my daughter was going to be disappointed. And so we drove in to pick up uh, my daughter that day and as my daughter gets into the car, uh, she uh, explains what had taken place. And my wife is able to look back at my daughter and say, I know, I know, it's all going to be okay. While we were disappointed with her, while we know that it's a trial and it's a struggle, there was something comforting to Adeline for her mommy to be able to say, I know, and it's going to be okay. And for us, in the midst of our trials, in the midst of the storm, in the midst of what may be times of disappointment and discouragement, what may be times of struggle, God says to you, I know. And that's why we have Daniel chapter 10, because that was God's ultimate message to Daniel. God shows up to Daniel as the pre-incarnate Christ, eyes blazing like fire, with his legs and his feet with bronze, because he was going to trample his enemies under his feet. And Daniel is trembling before the Lord, and the Lord's words to Daniel was in the still, small voice saying, Daniel, you are a man greatly loved. I've heard your prayers. I've heard the plight of Israel. I know what's taking place. I've been fighting for you, Daniel. And he comes to Daniel to offer him those comforting words that says, I know. I know that you desire for Israel 
to be redeemed. That after these 70 years of exile, you're disappointed because the temple isn't being rebuilt according to the timeline that you would thought it would be. But I'm at work in spite of that, Daniel. And that we, friends, in our day and time, and wanting to see the world being redeemed by the power of the gospel for the glory of God, we can take comfort in seeing that even though there's things we don't know about and there's things that we don't see, God says, I know it's going to take place and I love you and I hear you and I'm working on your behalf. In fact, Daniel chapter 10 verse 19, this man in linen who Daniel sees says, oh man greatly loved, fear not, peace be with you, be strong and of good courage. Because the message that Daniel was going to receive, the prophecy of Daniel 11, was going to be one where there's all these twists and turns and the people of Israel are caught smack dab in the middle. And so what we're going to do this morning is I want to give you a 30,000 foot up picture of this. We're not going to be able to go verse by verse in all of this or we would be here until 2 p.m. So um, that being said, we are going to take a, a 30,000 foot up picture and see God's plan in the scope of redemptive history of this prophecy. And so there's three points that I want to give you in this. Point number one is empires rise and fall. Empires rise and fall. Point number two is evil has a face. Evil has a face. And point number three is trouble is on the way. Trouble's coming. So that's the the points from this text. But I can tell you in this, we will actually find great hope in our God and King. So if you read chapters uh, 11 verses 1 through 4, you see this pattern established. And the pattern established is a pattern that we need to pay attention to because it's a pattern that has been established that has been the way things have gone for as long as time has been. Is that empires arise, empires become strong, and empires are broken down. Empires arise, empires become strong, and empires are broken down. In the life of Daniel, we see that in, in, his, in, in, his, in history of what Daniel has been going through, through some of the kingdoms that Daniel served under. So Persia, for example, there were four kings that is mentioned here from this prophecy. And the four kings of Persia ends with the great Xerxes. Xerxes was the king who set his eyes towards Greece in order to conquer Greece, but what happened was he enraged the beast. Greece actually came after Persia and destroyed them as a result of this, and this was Alexander the Great, a great king who God allowed to arise and become strong and who later was broken down. 33 years old, Alexander the Great had conquered much of the known world at his time, and he died of malaria. And his kingdom didn't even pass on to his children. His children were assassinated, and the four generals, the four winds of heaven that it refers to here, took over the kingdom, and it was divided into four different parts. 
Of those four kingdoms, two of the parts we see here are the kings of the north and the kings of the south. The kings of the north are the Seleucid Empire. The kings of the south are the Ptolemy Empire. The Seleucid Empire is Syria and the Ptolemy Empire is Egypt. Now forgive me if you think that this is a history lesson, but what we're actually doing is unpacking the prophecy that actually took place. Because all these kings of the north and south, Daniel did not have names for, now we have names for. And the names that we have for these people are the kings that God has allowed to arise, become strong, and then break down. Because what we see in this span from verse 2 and through 20, 19 verses, is this rise and and strong and strengthening and breaking down take place over and over again it was like volleyball that happened over a 355 year period so that's what you have in the first the first 19 verses of this passage is ping pong happening between the kings of the north and kings of the south for 355 years israel found themselves smack dab in the middle of that sometimes being ruled by egypt sometimes being ruled by Syria. But for the most part, they were left without a time of significant and severe persecution. Some of that came through, some of that weighed, went by rather quickly, but some of that they felt. And what they have here in the prophecy of Daniel was God showing them what was going to take place. That God knows them, that God cares for them. And he knows what's going on. But ultimately, at the rise and fall of empires is the God who sits on the throne. This is a really important part to see. Is that at the rise and fall of the empires is the God who sits on the throne. Because the kings of the north and the kings of the south may change. And who holds power from one day to the next may change. But ultimately, the God who sits on the throne never changes. Like, this is really quite important, not only for the people of Israel at that time and place, but it's really quite important for us. Because today, no matter who is elected, God is the one who sits on the throne. And God is the one who's in charge of the rise and the fall of empires. And not only that, he is the one who selects who is going to be the king and who is going to rule. God is not simply in charge of the the empires arising, but he is also in charge of who is leading. And he's in charge of every minute detail and aspect of that. But the plans of God are so far different from the plans of those who rule. Because you see that those who rule within this time period, many were very wicked. You see that even within Babylon at that time, Nebuchadnezzar and those who came after him ruled with an iron fist and were very, very wicked. But yet God had a plan And God's plan and his purposes never changed. Because even though the plans of man may be towards themselves, it is God that ultimately directs their steps. And God is the directing the steps of all history to be about his story. And that's what God was doing all throughout this while kingdoms rise and fell 
God was on the throne. Listen, what this means is God didn't wake up on Wednesday morning and turn on the TV or check his phone real quick and try to figure out who won the election. It wasn't like God saying, oh my gosh, I can't, oh my me, oh my goodness, I can't believe that just happened. God didn't do that. And he doesn't do that today. God doesn't wonder how Donald Trump is going to rule. He didn't wonder how Hillary Clinton was going to rule because God is the one who sets them up and breaks them down. Because ultimately, God's concern is far more than the United States of America. But God's concern is that redemption would be brought to humanity through the story of Jesus Christ. And God can use a wicked empire and God can use a righteous one. And God can use the evil schemes of men or God can use a heart that's steadfast towards him. In other words, God is not reliant upon man to bring about his plans. Now for us, we have the great privilege of being invited into his plan and that God would use us and that God would call us to be a part of it. And as God calls us to be a part of his plan, it's important that we realize, like it says in 2 Chronicles chapter 20, verse 6, O Lord, God of our fathers, are you not the God in heaven? You rule over the kingdoms of, this, of the nations. In your hand are power and might, so that none is able to withstand you. God wants for his people to know that nothing and no one could withstand him. No matter how prideful, no matter how how arrogant, no matter how much military might they might have at their fingertips, they cannot withstand the almighty God. Charles Spurgeon, in a sermon entitled God's Providence, writes this about Napoleon. He said, Napoleon once heard it said that man proposes and God disposes. Ah, said Napoleon, but I propose and dispose too. How do you think he proposed and disposed? He proposed to go and take Russia. He proposed to make all Europe his. He proposed to destroy that power. And how did he come back again? How had he disposed it? He came back solitary and alone. His mighty army perished and wasted, having well nigh eaten and devoured one another with hunger. Man proposes and God disposes. Oftentimes kingdoms begin with a bang, but they diminish with a whimper. And that's because God is the one who proposes and disposes because man cannot hold anything against God. Through the storm, realize that God is on the throne. Point number two, evil has a face. Talked about the first 19 verses of this passage. And we see that empires rise and fall. And we've got this 355 year period to watch it at work. And if you read even your ESV study Bible, it reads like a soap opera. You can see all the alliances that are made and all the backbiting that takes place. But then, as you continue to read, the focus begins to narrow. 
It's as if the plane begins to land a little bit, and we could see a little bit more of the scope of what's taking place. And there's an image that comes into view, and the image that comes into view is actually somebody that we talked about before. His name is Antiochus Epiphanes. Antiochus Epiphanes, we saw, arises in chapter 8 in the prophecy of Daniel of the ram and the goat. And the goat, remember, had a little horn. And that little horn was a stubborn little horn, and that little horn was Antiochus Epiphanes. And Antiochus Epiphanes is who Daniel calls here the contemptible person or the vile king. He entitled his name Epiphanes himself to mean God made manifest. That he was the imagery of Zeus. He believed that Zeus's power was truly within himself and so he called himself God manifest. In fact, Antiochus Epiphanes wasn't even an heir to the throne of Syria. He was actually given power by deceit because he was the uncle of the nephew who later died and then later the kingdom came to him through Antiochus Epiphanes' deception. And he almost conquered Egypt, but as he went to conquer Egypt, the Roman general named Gaius Pompilus met Antiochus Epiphanes before he got to Egypt and he drew a circle around Antiochus Epiphanes and says, if you don't decide what you're going to do right now, meaning that if you go forward, you are going to be an enemy of Rome. And Antiochus Epiphanes backs out and his mind becomes set on the holy city the glorious city, the city that has been in the middle of this. And he became a great persecutor of the Jews. And some of which you will read about as it tells him. He wanted to create a purely Hellenistic culture. Meaning that there would be a Grecian culture where they would worship Zeus rather than Yahweh. He wanted to abolish the priesthood and sought to abolish the priesthood. Meaning that he wanted to take away the Jews' view that they needed a representative to stand between God and man. He abolished the sacrificial system, which was a reminder of the need for forgiveness of sin amongst God's people. He abolished circumcision, which was a reminder of God's covenant love over his people. In fact, any newborn baby that was circumcised, Antiochus Epiphanes murdered. It was infanticide early on. He killed over 100,000 Jews. And what we know as the abomination that makes desolate was that the temple of God became an altar for Zeus and a, a pig was slaughtered in honor of Zeus. And it defiled that altar. It defiled that temple. He was an enemy of the people of God. And so what we see zoomed in on this passage is what the focus of the text takes us to and to see that evil has a face. And the face of evil opposes God and God's people. And the face of evil opposes God and God's people by seeking to steal their worship. By seeking for the people of God to worship someone or someone else other than Jehovah, other than Yahweh. And this was what we look at This is what we see in evil historically, is that evil comes in opposition to the worship of God. And so in that time period, the people of God were 
faced with a choice. Were they to love their Lord or love their life? Were they to love their Lord or love their life? This is a choice that many have to make in persecution, even in the world today, as many, many are persecuted because of their faith. Do you love your Lord or do you love your life? And those who love their lives relied on the Lord and they prevailed. And there were some who were given over to Antiochus Epiphanes and they were absorbed by the culture and left their Lord in order to have another day. Now listen, when we talk about this worship where our lives are coming under fire and where we're given the choice to love the Lord or love our lives more, that's a choice that isn't just made by people who are persecuted, but that's a choice that we as our as a people of God are having to ask ourselves every day. Do you love the Lord or do you love your life more? And we don't have to have a gun to our head to do so. Is the pure worship of God something that you desire? This is something that the Holy Spirit seeks to build in us, that we would truly be a people that love the Lord our God with all our heart, with all our mind, and with all of our strength. And the question is for each and every one of us is, do you love the Lord or do you love your life more? Is it God that satisfies you or is it the things of this world? Because if it's God who satisfies you, then you will count your life as nothing but only to have Christ Jesus as Lord. It's important as we talk about the face of evil that's directed towards the people of God to realize that God's face is also directed towards his people. And how is God's face directed towards his people? Through the redemption of God's son, Jesus Christ. Because friends, when I talk about how to love the Lord or love our lives, we're all, we're all going to make the choice to love our lives more. We're all going to do that. But God sent his son, Jesus Christ, to show us that he is the one who loves our lives more than we do. Because he would give his only son. Because the face of God is shown in God's Son, Jesus Christ, who is the image of the invisible God. And what we have here in this prophecy is the prophecy, is, is God giving this picture of his plan prevailing no matter what. God would use the wickedness and evil empires of Rome in order to allow, through the persecution of Christians, the gospel to spread through the road system that the Romans created. What Satan meant for evil, God meant for good. That even in our trouble, even in our persecution, God meets us right where we're at. And that's why James says in chapter 1, verse 2 through 4, Count it all joy, my brothers, when you face trials of many kinds. For you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness, and let steadfastness have its full effect, that you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. 
that God would use trials, that God would use the storm to allow us to more desperately depend upon King Jesus each and every day. I pray that after what you may have experienced during the election, no matter if your candidate won or lost, you turned your eyes not towards who's leading our country, but who's ultimately on the throne of your heart. And that's Jesus. And it's important to see Jesus for who he is, for who the Bible tells us he is. Because what's coming after this is the Antichrist. Now, there's a lot of things mumbo-jumbo related to the end times. But what we can unmistakably realize in this passage, we cannot deny it, is that Daniel is speaking of the end times as well. There's a division that's made on verse 35 through the end. And the division that's made is, if you read it in the text, it actually says, and the king shall do as he wills. Now, you could read this thinking that this is the continuation of Antiochus Epiphany's reign, but it's important that you read this in the divisions, in the emphasis that's brought to us. One translation, the King James Version, instead of using the word and, says, then the king shall do as he wills. And the transition that's made is the transition that's focused from Antiochus Epiphanes to a king that would come later. And the king that would come later is the Antichrist at the end of time. One who, like Antiochus Epiphanes, shall rule with himself regarded most. One who, like Antiochus Epiphanes, will set their face towards the glorious land and the people of God to bring destruction. One who, like Antiochus Epiphanes, gives no heed or care for God. And throughout history, we see this image, imagery of the spirit of the Antichrist in some of the most horrific rulers that this world has ever imagined. In fact, many would think that Adolf Hitler would be the Antichrist. Or many would think that Mussolini would be the Antichrist. Or many would think that Mao Zedong or Kim Jong-un could or would be the Antichrist. But it's the spirit of the Antichrist that reigns in this world that's ultimately going to be pointed to a person who is going to mark the end of time. Now it's rather interesting to think about it. The end of time. Many people have come and gone in this world and the world has continued to go on. Many people have lived and died In fact, billions and billions of them. And when you and I die, if Christ doesn't return before that, the world will continue on just as it did today and yesterday and the days before. It will continue the days after. But the end of time marks the end of time. The end of the world. Where God is going to ultimately bring restoration. Where God is ultimately going to bring judgment where God is ultimately going to punish those who have opposed him, and he's going to reward those who belong to him. And the Antichrist and the spirit of Satan is going to come and steal, kill, and destroy. And the message of the gospel is the message of perseverance. The true test of Christianity 
is that we would persevere in the Lord. Now, listen, I face struggles and trials every day, and there are days where my sin nature just gets the better of me. No, not any one of us are, are walking this perfectly straight path. And in fact, if we're all honest with ourselves, it's this zigzagged path. And many days we just don't know what we're doing. And many days we're crying out for help. But friends, may those many days that we're crying out for help remind us that we belong to the one who is calling us to himself, even in those difficulties. In the end of times, many will be swayed to believe in what the Antichrist proclaims. And that is that the world does not belong to God. And that is that God's people have no hope. And there will be a time of fierce persecution in order to turn the hearts of God's people away from God. But God's people must know what Jesus looks like. They must know his voice. When he calls out to them. They must know on their knees in prayer. That like Daniel. Jesus says I hear your prayers. I hear your cries. I know it's taking place. And I'm working. Because friends even the Antichrist. Will rise. And he will become strong. And God will bring him down. And just like. Alexander the Great, just like those who were before him, God will crush him. And he who started with a bang will end with a whimper. Because God is the one who sits on the throne. And friends, I know after this election season, many people have said that. God sits on the throne. God sits on the throne. But have you heard it? Have you heard it? And not only the throne of these United States of America, but the throne of your heart. Because if Christ is not there, then the spirit of the Antichrist reigns. The spirit of the Antichrist to lead you astray. The spirit of the Antichrist in order to sway your hearts from pure worship to God. And the message of Jesus is unmistakable. And the message of Jesus isn't you're perfect. And you're going to do this perfectly. And everything has to be done according to his plan in you all the time. In fact, everything is done according to his plan in you all the time. All the time. And it's because of that. That God allows his son. To be the perfect sinless sacrifice. We don't need. The sacrificial system anymore. Because we have the savior who's been sacrificed for our sins. We don't need the high priest to stand before us and God. Except Jesus is the high priest. Who is the mediator between God and and man. We don't need circumcision anymore because the covenant love that comes for us is the covenant love of Jesus Christ who by his blood shed for us acknowledges that we are desperate for him and he is the image of the invisible God that came and gave his body for us on that tree so that we might be saved. The Antichrist cannot withstand 
the work of Jesus Christ over his people. Because God's love for his people is what will sustain them and save them. And without that, we would suffer the same fate of the wicked and evil done for selfish reasons. But because of what Christ has done for us, we have the righteousness of God and the end of time marks the beginning of all eternity for us. So let me close with this question. What is your comfort in life and death? What is your comfort in life and death? We came up here not for a history lesson, but for an opportunity to see that God is the one who ordains everything about this world and our very lives. And because God ordains these things, we could find ourselves on our knees in prayer saying, what a friend we have in Jesus. So let's take all to him in prayer. Let's pray. Father, we thank you. That is your covenant love that has saved us. That you have rescued us. That you have made us new. That God, even on this Sunday after the elections and Many of us are despondent. Some are depressed. God, some are even filled with joy. But with that, Lord, we're reminded that no matter how we feel, Lord, we desperately need you. Our nation needs you. Our church needs you. Our families need you. We as your people, we need you. And God, we need you because, Lord, There's no one else that we have to turn to. You are our only comfort in life and death. And we not even need to fear death because of the life that you've granted us through the pardon given to us by Jesus. Because God, on his body, on that tree, he took on our sin and he defeated it. He took on death and he defeated it. And on the third day, he rose again so that we might have life and life to its fullest. So that the end of time would be the beginning of eternity with our Savior, the prize, Jesus Christ. We ask that you would make it true in our lives today. In your name we pray. Amen. Would you stand with me? We're going to take communion as we take communion, we remember that Jesus Christ was sacrificed so that we wouldn't have to be. So that the wrath of God would bear upon him so it would not bear upon us. So remember that when you take the bread and dip in the cup and receive the Lord's Supper. If you are a believer in the truth of Jesus Christ, that he died for your sin, that he rose again on the third day so that you might have life and life to its fullest, communion is an open table for you. If today you're just checking out Christianity, you would have more questions about what it means to know and follow after Jesus Christ. There'll be somebody at the hospitality table that would love to help you in any way that we can. But that being said, friends, we remember the broken body and shed blood of Jesus Christ that reminds us that Jesus is on the throne and there is no other.
Let's worship.